Hello and welcome. I'm Phil Svitek, and in this very special episode, I'm going to get to interview Jeffrey Crane Graham and Candace Cruz about their movie, Always Lola, which is available today on Amazon, iTunes, as well as Google. Now, Jeffrey Crane Graham is the writer, director, producer of the movie. Uh, Candace Cruz is one of the six main actors in the ensemble piece. And uh, I'll let Jeff kind of explain what the movie's all about. You know, that's one of the questions I ask him. But I just want to kind of, you know, before the interview, just kind of give a few things about it. Um, number one, I've been lucky enough to have a front row seat to the making of this movie. You know, I wasn't there on set necessarily, but, you know, since inception to completion, I've, I've borne witness to uh, Jeff and the, the rest of the team put this thing together. So it's been a, a pleasurable journey. You know, I don't take credit in any way. Um, you know, merely I, I was always rooting for this movie, knew that it was something special and you know, uh, if you follow my work, you know I love championing other people's work. And hopefully that's evident as we go through the discussion. Now, I've also linked to down in the description other interviews that uh, Jeff has done uh, with people that I think really round out this conversation. You know, I got them for an hour and there's so much other stuff that I would have loved to talk to them about. You know, you, you blink and it's sort of over. Uh, my main focus with this interview was to go a deeper, right? Um, you know, at times uh, you'll see me kind of push back and, in a way, challenge some of the answers. Not because I'm trying to be negative or anything like that. I want to get to the real specificity of an answer. You know, in fact, um, Jeff, when he did an interview with Roxy Stryer, who's one of the other stars in Always Lola, you know, Jeff kind of joked about, well, you know, like. A lot of it came down to luck. And she was like, Jeff, we've been talking for like an hour and 15 minutes. Clearly it wasn't luck. Um, you know, there's all these series of decisions that happen. And so, you know, I wanted to really take that and go very granular so I can provide and highlight, um, you know, the steps that it does take to really make a feature film. And yes, it can be arduous and there's a lot of it that goes into it, but it's possible, right? And, uh, you know, I love that spirit from Jeff. Uh, overall, you know, that that he just decided to go out and make it, you know, um, because that's my spirit, right? Like, uh, you know, I love when artists don't just talk about doing something, but actually go do it. Um, so, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fun experience because, you know, Jeff in many ways had a front row seat to my uh, two movies, right? Uh, more particularly the second one, um, A Bogota Trip, you know, because that was also when he was like pre-planning his and we would like share ideas. Now we don't talk about that as much, but because again, uh, just due to time limitations, um, most of the time we spent uh, talking about pre-production stuff, production stuff. Um, so we didn't go into post-production and, and, and stuff like that, but you know, that's a whole separate journey that, um, you know, I've talked about on various episodes of mine and stuff like that. And, you know, hopefully in the future, uh, you know, I, I get to bring Jeff back and, and we can dive into some of those stuff. But I think, you know, uh, in the hour that we do spend together, we really scratch at a lot of insightful stuff. So without further ado, um, here is my interview with Jeffrey Crane Graham, as well as Candace Cruz. <laughs> I know this is like one of the most basic questions, but I think, uh, you know, for anyone kind of just jumping in blind, what's always Lola? Well, Phil, thanks for having me. Do you care if I take this one, Candace? Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, Always Lola is a micro-budget feature, narrative feature film. So um, for fans of movies, we made one. Um, you know, it's in some ways, it's a lot like any of the big movies you'd be seeing at a movie theater uh, made by studios because it's a story-driven, character-driven movie with great performances. But we did it with far less money than most of those movies do. Um, and what the movie is about is these five best friends who reunite on their annual camping trip. Candace plays one of those five friends. Um, they reunite to mourn the loss of their best friend, Lola, who died the year before and who normally organized this trip. Um, but this year, her sister kind of shows up seemingly uninvited 
And um, little does this friend group know that her sister in particular is hiding a big secret around Lola's death that slowly leaks out um, during this trip. And um, that secret threatens to kind of destroy their friend group and their memory of Lola. Um, it's funny, the pitch makes it sound very serious, but I would say at the end of the day, it's kind of a feel-good celebration of life and you'll laugh a lot. So um, that's always Lola. Yeah, and I, I absolutely loved it. And and I think, Thanks, you know, um, I, I think you always say like, it's also a comedy um, because I think given the subject matter, people can think that it's so grim and dour. But to me, it's both. Like life is always those ups and downs, you know, right. navigating those things. Um, and so I really appreciate it. It's been out for just a little over a week. How do you guys feel? I mean, there's such a goodwill to the movie, um, you know, and I feel I feel like, I don't know, you guys kind of felt that magic and now for others to experience it like what's what's that even like Hannah, you go yeah it's been very surreal to be honest with you i mean we shot this movie back in 2021 and um it was one of the best experiences of my life and i don't say that just because jeff is in the room with me but i i, I do say that wholeheartedly because it was um such an incredible atmosphere and creative space and the first time that i'd really been given and afforded the opportunity to let my acting legs stretch a um, majority of my stuff had been you know a few lines here and there and acting class and things like that so this is the first time where i got to play an ensemble lead character role and so to be able to have that experience and so fondly look back on it it's almost like watching, I've heard people say this in interviews before, it's almost like watching a whole movie to some capacity because you remember what you were doing each point of that movie and what that day was like and what it was like on set and what your prep was like. And so for people to be having that experience themselves in their own way um, and so many people coming to me having such beautiful um, reactions to it and heartfelt um, feelings about everything and just beautiful words. I. I, it's very um, overwhelmingly just beautiful. I keep saying those words, but it's just like, it, it really is. And it's just, it makes everything so much more special because to me and to all of us, we made magic. And so for mm -hmm. people to be regurgitating that and saying that back to us, it's just the icing on top of the cake. And how did you, so well I'm, I'm, I'm very curious, how did you fully become involved? Because obviously you guys knew each other from mm -hmm. AfterBuzz TV where we all worked um in various capacities you as a host um and you know i'm not going to take any credit but i i think jeff correct me if i'm wrong you did call me at one point of like hey because candace and i worked on a short film together mm -hmm. and i think you asked me a little bit about that experience and i was like candace she, she's going to deliver for you totally. am i incorrect well, am i am i like Phil. making up a story no i'm sure you, i'm sure i did it's funny i don't like totally remembered that but i'm sure that i did um, I had worked with Candace at a, like Phil's mentioned, a mm -hmm. podcast production company um, called AfterBuzz TV where Candace was hosting. So I knew that Candace was very, very talented. And I knew that she had a lot of charisma on screen, um, but in a totally different capacity than acting. Mm -hmm. um, and I was running our red carpet program. And whenever Candace was available for carpets, I would always... Well, I shouldn't say this on air. I would be democratic <laughs> about who I was picking. But if Candace was the best choice and she was available, I would be like very excited that Candace was going because I knew Candace was extremely professional and good at her job. And but again, I didn't know if you were an actress. So um, when I asked Candace to audition, it's a good fit for you, the part. I mean, like it is a Latinx girl and that, that's an important part of the character. But I was also just like, I hope Candace is good. Like, I hope she's <laughs> as good at acting as she is at hosting um, because I would love to work with her for the experience of the movie. And then your audition knocked my socks off, um, which I was so relieved. I was like very excited and also relieved because I wanted you. So I was like, okay, she's good. Um, well, was kind of how it felt. I want to cut in real quick. And then I, I want to go to you, Candace, because like yeah. when you and I made our short, like, you know, you had that sort of leather jacket and you were like this badass woman. Mm -hmm. And not that it's the same role, but in a way, um, uh, Camilla, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. uh, in in always lola has that badass edge to her mm -hmm. and yet that's so not your personality <laughs> and i remember us talking about it that that like you get in a way almost like typecast into this so like mm -hmm. can you speak to that 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it is completely antithesis of who I am as a person. I've literally taken up boxing in the last year and a half because I've realized and come to the like conclusion that these are the types of roles I'm going out for. So I'm like, I at least have mm-hmm. to tap into some type of anger or that energy in other ways. Um, but yeah, it is. It's very interesting. But I think it's such a blessing that um, I end up getting to do that because as an actor. I don't want to speak for all actors, but I think majority of us can say we choose this field because we want to escape from ourselves. Sometimes we Mm -hmm. want to be able to stretch our legs and to play pretend and be someone that is completely opposite of who we are. That's when we get to be invigorated and we also can play around and bring our colors from our own background into the character and, and see how that works. And so to be typecast in something that is literally the yin to my yang of what I am as a person, I think it's just um, a really cool challenge as an actor um, and something that I've been working on a lot. And so um, to be able to play Camilla um, was just such a an exercise as well. And I think, you know, I do cry a lot in this movie, mm-hmm. just heads up. And, you know, reading Camilla on paper, she doesn't give off that vibe whenever right. I first read her. She definitely has more of like that hard edge, badass, type of like grit and anger to her and there was a a point where i was like you know jeff and i talked about like the the layers and the colors of her and i didn't want to limit her to only being one note either Mm -hmm. and i think that someone that's angry is in some way repressing things so being able to let that out in emotion and cry and also you know we even challenged there's a scene where we're in the coffee shop of like Jeff and I talked about it. Why don't we try it where you try so hard not to cry? Mm-hmm. And I think it gives so much more depth to who she is as a person rather than just being this angry best friend that is pissed off at the world. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that um, being able to bring that part of myself, that empathy that I I try so hard to to have within my life into that anger was a really nice uh, mixture. And you know what, if I could just quickly jump in it, you showed me that in your audition. And one of the most fun things about being a writer director is like when you bring actors into the process, they'll um, enliven your characters so much and add dimension to them just because inevitably putting a person into the body of a thing that you wrote on a page Mm -hmm. is it's like magic. That's the most fun part of the whole process. And um, yeah, I, I was like, oh, this is so great seeing this character that I did write with a very hard edge that you do bring in the movie, but the whole movie to me, your performance is just like slowly stripping away that anger mm-hmm. to reveal wounds. Yeah. Um, and that was totally what you showed me in those auditions. And I was like, Oh, cause the, the audition, I kind of intentionally gave like two very different scenes that you needed to show. Mm-hmm. And even in that process, you showed me so much more than I realized was there. So that was just so much fun. Thank you. And, mm-hmm. and something that like before Phil, that question, I loved that question what I was going to say is like when I did audition and Jeff approached me about the audition, I was going through such a hard point in my life. That was like beginning of 2021. So we're coming out of the pandemic. I had, we all had our own experiences of that. And so I was going through kind of an awakening that was very low. And like, I think I hit my lowest the day before I got the email from Jeff. And I remember going to my friend, Melissa, and she brings this up all the time about the movie. I almost didn't submit a tape. I was very close because I was at that point where I was like, I don't know if I have it in me. I'm tired. Like, I just don't know. And she was like, you're here. It's set up. Let's just do it. And so we did it. And I'm so grateful that I did because Mm -hmm. it really reinvigorated and was the answer to what I was looking for before I got that email. It probably informed your performance a little bit. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the, um, I had a different question. I definitely want to talk about kind of people's backstories, but let's jump into, because I think it's a good segue to the experience of filming. Because in a lot of ways, I mean, this was shot very quickly, two weeks, give or take. And it's such an intense experience. Um, and I definitely want to talk about that aspect of it. But but I'm also, in a way, for artist's sake, I'm very curious what happens the day when you're done, right? Because you're on such a high that like you're with these people, you're making something special and in blink of an eye, it's almost over. Right. Um, And then we get moments like this when we kind of reunite and stuff like that. So I don't know. I just want to talk about the mental aspect of 
completing a you know something. And I know it's more of a phase um, because obviously, uh, you know, right now you're involved, Candace. For you, Jeff, you went into editing, um, so I know it's not like technically the, the movie over. But I'm always very curious, and I don't think that's talked about enough. It's almost like it's so funny because we did a summer camp movie of sorts. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like you remember back in school when you go to summer camp. And you're like on such a high because you're with all your friends and you're getting to have all that fun. And then it, you have to go back to reality and you almost go through like a depressive moment. There's almost like that week or two weeks of withdrawal of like, now what? You know, and I think trying to ride from that high, I, I, and I, I'm very lucky that like we had such an incredible cast and Jeff did such a great job in casting all of us because we did have such a camaraderie that we didn't really have a full downtime. It wasn't like that quick low that you normally come off of when you're done with a project because we did stay in touch and we had friendships and we continued to carry on um, after the film. So I think that that was really helpful. Um, But I think it is a challenge. It is very much of like that question of like, especially in this industry, when is something else going to come along? Like Mm -hmm. this answered me being on set prove to me that this is what I want to do with my life. And so when you can't have that immediate gratification right afterwards, it is a little bit of a a mind twist where you're like, okay, how do I keep that creative juice going when the opportunity isn't necessarily knocking at the door right now? That's so well said. I was thinking the exact same thing, Candace, where like the weird thing, and Phil's a director too, so you can relate to this, Phil, but the weird thing about directing is that um, we don't get to do it very much. You know, it's like if someone brought up this point that like even a very let's say a director's done eight movies and each of those shoots was two months. That's only 16 months of an entire life, which is, you know, just over a year of time. Whereas like the crew, like your second gaffer has probably been on set for a total of 10 years. So it's a weird thing for directors because even though it's a passion, even the most experienced directors haven't been on set that much, not nearly as much as their crew or even maybe their cast. So I think I had the feeling of just like, I need to treasure this experience. And on the last day, kind of feeling a little heartbroken that I know I'm going to be on set directing again, hopefully soon. But at that time, I was like, it might be years until I'm back in this position, which is can be a little bit of a weird feeling. Yeah. And it's just the nature of it, right? Like it speaks n- nothing about your talent or anything. I right. mean, you know, I mean, it's just every director, usually, you know, there's years in between. So mm-hmm. you're right. Um, and I know I'm going from a heavy subject. Uh, you know, for those listening, I tend to go all over the place. I <laughs> but I, I want to go back to the backstory aspect of it, right? Because I think it's very integral to you as an actor, uh, Jeff, you as both the writer, director, each character is so well fleshed out, right? And we only get, you know, 90 minutes. um, And obviously that screen time is divided. But within those little moments, we have to know these like 19 years worth of history of this, these characters, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, where, where do you sort of even begin to contemplate that and have that depth? you know, where it is so authentic as opposed to generic. That's so nice. I'm also like super excited to hear Candace's answer on this one, but I think I will say the movie's so personal for me. And the way I like to articulate like how the characters showed up was um, the movie is, I wouldn't say it's autobiographical at all, but I would say it's emotionally autobiographical and that like the feelings and experiences that the characters go through very closely reflect some of my own when I lost my friend Peggy, um, who um, lost her life in her twenties. And there's elements of mental health that are like a very important runner through the movie that really connect to Peggy's experience as well. But there are basically five different characters in the movie that are walking through this process of grieving their friend. And I would say like at different times in my life, I showed up as a version of those characters. Mm. And um, someone asked me in an interview, like, how do you create characters? And I think the advice I would give is like, lean into your, I mean, Phil does this too in his movie, A Bogota Trip, which is great. Um, And when that comes out, I would highly recommend it. But it's like, you're leaning into your own experiences and emotional understanding of the world, especially when you're going through an experience and maximizing those feelings and channeling them into a character. So the anger I felt um, about both the experience and my friend most showed up in Candace's character. And then the guilt over the anger that you feel is exactly the conversation that you and Catherine have in the coffee shop at the, near the end of the movie. So um, I think like 
leaning into anything that feels true and especially if it feels like scary or embarrassing or vulnerable to admit like even better um that's when you know you need to write it um so i don't know if that's helpful i think also to the actors are just so good that they created a sense of lived in friendship um which i'll definitely take credit for but i think a lot of that has to do with well, oh, I think I, I think it's an entry point, but it's not the specifics, right? Because yeah, that's you're like, okay, you know, um, you know, Camilla needs to be angry. Okay, cool. But in the wrong hands, right? Both the writer, the director, and, and an actor, like that could just be disastrous. And one note, as you kind of mentioned, it, it could have gone, right? Um mm-hmm. but it wasn't that. So I don't know, Candace, I'm curious to so Jeff's provided the entry point. Now, how do you finesse that thread to have those specifics? I, I think there, there's a lot of layers to that. So I think number one, I think open communication with your director and your writer and producer, um, which Jeff and I did very early on before mm-hmm. we got there of like, number one, for an actor, you don't want, you have your perception of the character, but it can be very different than what the writer had. And somehow you have to kind of meld the two together to make it work. And it, it is a big puzzle piece, and especially in an ensemble film where you have so many other moving parts that they all have to kind of make sense, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where the magic comes on screen is like, I had my opinion of what Camilla was. I need to see what Jeff's opinion of Camilla was and see where those points could not be changed to serve the script and to serve the story and where some points could be changed that would make sense for a living, breathing character, right? You have to kind of find that middle ground and it is a lot of um, communication. And like, you know, I came prepared to our meeting and being like, this is the type of background. Like you said this particular line and I think that this actually means this because, you know, she had this history with her parents or with her mom or, you know, is she first generation? Is she second generation? Does she come from wealth? Does she come from poverty? Like there's a lot of things that influence who we are as people that are extraneous things outside of who we are on paper or like Mm. what we're saying. So having a little bit of that, um, even down to the nuances of like, for some reason, I don't like candy. I know that this is a weird point, but like, I like chocolate. I don't like candy, but for some reason in my brain, Camilla loved Twizzlers. She smoked. And so to me, immediately, I literally said, Jeff, she, she eats Twizzlers and specifically this particular one. And they had them on set and I was eating them the entire time. And I think for an actor to play with different entry points in that way is also really cool. So backstory, nuance, costuming make a, makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also one of our first nights when we were all sitting together as a cast, you know, some people have a very different process. Some people do not do, do backstories and they only focus on specifically the story of what they're doing. Um, but I did say if anyone wanted to share their backstory, it would be really nice. Um, and then also Roxy and I hopped on the phone because we're specifically best friends in this film. So we both felt like it was a good idea to have a conversation and to, we knew each other before this project, but not to the capacity of being best friends. And she is to this day, one of my dearest best friends, um, post movie. So I think even having that entry point for us to like talk about her background, what my background is, like, how did we meet? Like what that was like, I think brought so much more to this short period of time that you guys are seeing on screen. Um, And so I think it it was a combination of all those things. And then also knowing all of that and throwing it out the window when you're actually playing opposite a person, because Mm. ultimately you really do have to listen and really take exactly what they're giving to you. Because as people, we're not our backstories. Sometimes how I operate with one person is not how I'm gonna operate with another person. And being able to have all this information and then completely ignore it and be focused and believe that you're embodying that person, um, I think is where the real work comes into play. Yeah, so I'm curious. One more thing I would quickly say, if I can jump in fast, Phil, that's such a thoughtful answer, Candace, like such a masterclass for me. I love learning from actors. I think in terms of writing too, one thing I really tried to do in the writing was um, the the ultimate challenge a writer faces always is balancing exposition with a lived in sense of natural reality, right? Because the job of a screenplay is to relay information. That's what storytelling is. Mm -hmm. But counterintuitively, it's also the job to disguise the fact that you're doing that. (laughs) You know, it's like a very, um, it's hard. And so I think like I tried to create a language among this friend group that um, 
led us really information in a way that was um, lived in and natural and felt organic to how these people would actually talk. So like when you and Lee are interacting, there are hints about your past relationship, but you never say like, oh, like now that we've been dating and hooking up on the side, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's like we hear about this party you guys hooked up at or like, you know, sometimes you can communicate just as much through silence as you can with words. Um, and like even the idea of the movies built around a scavenger hunt, like I feel like that moment when you pull out that book that you and Lola had shared, like we learn a lot about you two without having to say it all. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think another thing I would advise for writers is think about ways you can relay information and exposition without actually telling the audience what it is, if that you makes know, sense. Yeah. I think you'll appreciate this, Jeff, and maybe you've heard it before. Um, it's almost in a way like the audience doesn't need to know what's happening as long as they trust the actor. So it, it, the best mm -hmm. examples given is like make up a completely, you know, a board game, card game doesn't matter where nobody else in the audience knows the rules. But as long as the people that are playing it and seem confident, then it's mm -hmm. all of a sudden engaging because like, you know, there's stakes of like, wait, who's going to win? I have no idea like what's going on. Anyways, that's my. That's great. Up. That's really good, Phil, because it's the idea that you're living with them as the audience and you don't even need to know because yeah. you're in the room with them and they know. So therefore you do too, kind of. That's really good. Exactly. Um, but I want to I I jump back a little bit to pre-production, right? Because I think a movie, movies in general, right, uh, really live on the pre-production and, and the work that goes into it. And, you know, um, in a lot of ways, like I listen to the Team Deacons podcast and a lot of people that are guests on that talk about how Hollywood has been shortening the windows of pre-production and to, to a large detriment. And so I want to get from your perspective, like how long did you spend with pre-production? You know, was that, it seems like it was quite beneficial because you got that time. So that way, when you, you know, had the two weeks of actually filming, you guys could just run. Is that correct to say? Yeah. I mean, when did you come on Candace? Like when did I green light you? Um, Check like April, emails. maybe, or May? <laughs> right. I, so I auditioned in April. It was literally the weekend of Easter. And then I had a callback. I had my callback two weeks later. And then I had my my chemistry read a week and a half after. So May. Yeah. Around like mid-May. It's interesting, Phil, because unlike you, I don't love rehearsal. Um, I, I kind of like giving the actors space to just show up and like they have an emotionally worked material out. And again, there's like absolutely no right or wrong way. There are directors I adore who love rehearsal. Um, but I, we had a lot of conversations before set, which Candace was alluding to. So like, I loved talking with the actors and like talking about the script. My policy was basically like, I sent the shooting script out a couple versions of it, but like months before the shoot, just to like give it to you all to read it and get comfy with it. And um I was like, you can offer me any rewrite suggestions you want. Um, I may or may not take them, which is obviously my prerogative, but like, I definitely want to hear. And 95% of the time, no one suggested anything big because I think the script was in fairly good shape before set. But at the same time, I think 95% of what anyone brought to me, I took because actors have such a sh specifically sharp point of view that you might just not have as the writer director because you it's your job to see the story differently than it is for the actors. So um, I mean, we just talked a lot before set. Yeah, I and I think too, um, in that regards of process, like with script and whatnot, I think I like to personally read it and then set it away and let it like mm -hmm. breathe and then I'll read it and then set it away and then figure out all the other like little nuances. I loved the way that we approached it with like conversation because then it's not, it is what you're saying, it's lived in when you're there rather than like, I, there's a specific scene that I actively chose not to read something ahead of time because I wanted to make sure that it was extremely visceral and and alive for everyone. And I think that that's also the excitement of like the creativity that like you don't do too much in pre. And you're so good in that scene. I do just want to say like, Candace is so amazing in the movie, but there's one, it's kind of the, a big scene in the movie like you could have like the big scene every character has a very meaningful moment but you're sort of the engine of that scene and um there's two moments that one where you're reading something and then you button the scene up with like a brutal line <sighs> that and line. um oh it, when i was writing it it was hard for me to write and mm. like kind of emotional and then you even brought it there's something so specifically broken about the way you do that moment that i just am like 
this is an Oscar. I just like love you in that scene. It's so good. It, it was such it was such a fun day. I think there's such an interesting thing about being an actor when you do get to cry and stretch that muscle because we were shooting that scene for about five hours. Yeah. And so <laughs> to, to, to cry for five hours is like dehydration. Yeah. Yeah. You crushed it, was, it though. But it, but it was great. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. No, fun. it's uh no, it's a it's a very powerful scene. And um forgive me because I know in many ways, like uh obviously there's so much such magic to it all, but I like going back to the banal questions only because yeah. I think without that, none of that happens. So like, yes, you guys are talking about the character, but on, on a movie like this, I know firsthand, there's such an intimacy, right? Because it's not just, okay, character talk. I want to talk about props, costumes, because all of that goes into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you know, it's not like you're talking to the costumer, Jeff, that then is going to do a, a fitting with with Candace and so forth. Like, no, it's essentially you guys, right? And literally, fig- like, the amount of homework just to, like, figure out these things is you know, the the ownership is essentially on you as opposed to having it be spread out, you know, as it otherwise might be on a Hollywood movie. So talk to me about that side of it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, essentially the actors, gratefully, it was in their contract. I was like, hey, we'll provide you some clothes, but like um, some of it's going to be yours. Basically the nature of the movie um, is like 50% of them, maybe 70% of the movie is happening within like a three-day timeline. And then 30% of the scenes are either happening in flashback or on a separate timeline. Um, so basically we decided from a logistics standpoint that the 70% of the movie that is happening over the course of like two days was going to be very limited costuming, and but very reworn. I'm not explaining this very well, but I think what I'm no, trying I, to I say- I know what you're saying, but like- it, yeah. it, well, here's the interesting part. In a way, it's like both a positive and negative, right? Because I know firsthand, um, like that's great. And you feel like that's a small window, but it's actually still a lot of costumes, right? Right. Number one. Number two, so, okay, maybe they might have a lot of costume changes, but they're shooting for X number of days. And how the hell do you wash that? Right? Because <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like these are, the, these are the things that on an indie level, it's just, you're kind of like, okay, Again, that's a positive, but all of a sudden now we're facing negatives. Yeah, because of yeah, because of the nature of like that 70% costume that was most of the movie, we got duplicates of those Mm -hmm. clothes. So basically the production was like, we'll provide your wardrobe for the stuff you're wearing a lot, and then you'll provide your wardrobe for like the one-off scene moments. Mm -hmm. Um, so basically Laura and I just went to like Old Navy, Walmart, and Target and got a bunch of clothes. And I think, am I right, Candace, that we had you all pick on when you got to set, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we brought, I brought a lot of stuff. I had a huge mm-hmm. piece of luggage, but, um, you know, I think also to having extras and, and other stuff from our own wardrobes help too, because I think the wardrobing does inform the character a lot. It informs how you embody that person, how you walk, how you like, just become that it finally feels real. Um, and so the first day that we got on set, we met with Laura and Jeff and tried on our own pieces and then figured out what was going to be per scene. Um, and I still wear those items that they gave me from set all the time. I'm so glad. And I love I them. Love I love them. <laughs> awesome. um, but they really do. It's really interesting how important that is, Phil, like what you're saying is like that really does inform a lot um, of the character. And I think we majority of the movie is actually the wardrobe that you guys picked out for me. I think yeah. there's only one scene really that was my own, which is the flashback with Lola. And then the coffee shop too. And then the coffee shop. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I think it was like, we knew that it was logistically, if we want to get like banal, it, it's safer to have just one version of a look in those one-off scenes because you're less likely to like spill yeah. on it. Like yeah. the longer you're wearing something, the more, the more likely, likely you are to ruin it. Yeah. Um, and with continuity, we're shooting out of order. So mm-hmm. like if you were to spill coffee on something on the last day, but that takes place in the middle of the movie, the puzzle becomes like so terrifying. Cause you're like, do we reshoot all that other stuff? Do we explain it away in the movie? Whereas like worst case scenario, if you spill in a one-off one scene outfit, you could just do it again. Um, So it's a, it's such a puzzle and it's the part of production that I I enjoy more than I thought I would, but it's not the most fun because that's kind of the, 
But you know what? I ended up kind of liking the Jenga tower of like building the movie more than I thought I would. Yeah. Let, let me ask you one more about that. Like, how do you, because um, we both went to other places to make movies, right? And so mm-hmm. you're bringing the Phil went to Columbia, which is insane, but keep going, Phil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you have to pack, right? And so for my team, I was like, listen, guys, pack like your character. You get a carry on and that's it. Like the check bags, that's reserved for equipment. So I don't know what your rule set. It seems like uh, you were a little bit more lenient with that, you know, from what it sounds like. But I'm just curious, you know, um, because you guys went to Ohio. So, yeah, what was like your travel uh, itinerary, as it were? I'm I I we paid for obviously your travel. um, But I think, Candice, you booked yourself and we refunded you, right? Yes. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, because I'm, I mean, I'm from that area, so I got to go and like visit with family outside of that. Yeah, I think for me, and it's an area where we're slightly different as directors, Phil. Like, I feel like I love set, and that's when I feel like I have a lot of like authorial insight. But in terms of like process and like what you bring, what you wear, what you do, I'm kind of like whatever helps you. I'm happy to like collaborate with you on that if you want my opinion, but like. It's funny with Camilla's backstory, I um love that you built that, but I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to know that because mm-hmm. in my mind, all it did was just inform the way you showed up. And you would ask me right. questions, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it was something, it was almost fun for me to be like, you have a secret that I don't even need to know. Yeah. Um, I feel like it created a really cool dynamic and um created a little bit of a sense of like mystery in a way, which mm-hmm. um made it really fun to work with you and see what would show up. It just felt a little more electric in that way. Mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a distinction. Like, um, I think there's a difference between, you know, saying like, hey, we're going to go to Ohio to film a movie and not in a bad way versus totally. like, I think my my people's response was like, wait, we're going to Columbia. And they're, so like, I had to put together a whole like documentation of like, here's how the outlets are. They're the same. Don't worry. They're only right. two hours ahead, like all, all this stuff to like, just create a sense of calmness. Like it's going to be okay. You're in good hands. Just make sure you have your passport. We'll be okay. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So um, uh, let's see. Um, I want to talk. So filming wise, obviously it looks beautiful. Um, and you guys shot single cam, which is generally mm-hmm. typical um, I tend to go the opposite, not like multicam as in a sitcom, but I usually try to shoot for my stuff with two cameras just to speed it up. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm curious about just that decision for you, um, you know, and how, and then by extension, the, the follow-up would be for you, Candace, what was that like, you know, just to, because as you said, um, with that major scene, you know, um, that's a lot of takes to have to go through, you know? So. Yeah. It's more coverage for the actors. Um, and I, you can speak to that, Candace. But um, I, the reason AJ, so my cinematographer, mutual friend of Phil's and my, me, named AJ Young, he's brilliant. Brilliant. Um, we talked a lot about how we wanted to put the production together. And we had discussed two cameras at one point. Uh, we shot on the Panasonic S1H, um, which is a great camera. And particularly, it's a great low light camera which is good because we had a good number of exterior night scenes and like scenes lit by firelight and campfires. And um, that was important. Um, But there's an interesting thing where I totally agree with you, Phil, that multiple cameras speeds up the production, but only if you have a certain number of conditions that you can match, which is like, if you're shooting somewhat guerrilla and if you're not going to like spend a ton of, I think the nature of our movie was living in close up a lot. So we had to light it in a very specific way that might've made two cameras more challenging. And um, it's also like having another monitor then having a second camera op. Um, So in some ways having a second camera can create more complications. And again, specifically with those flashback scenes, the grammar of those scenes was like in shot in very tight close up. And sometimes when you have two cameras close up, it can kind of mess with your eye line in the edit. So yeah. Um, those were the main reasons we decided to shoot on one. Um, there were definitely times on set when I thought like a second camera would be nice here. Uh, but ultimately, I'm glad we did it the way we did. Yeah. And by the way, um, just, to, you know, for, for point of clarification for everybody, um, I'm not saying one is better than the other. Like my big philosophy in general is 
whatever gets whatever way the movie gets done that's the correct way obviously mm -hmm. as long as you're not hurting and harming people then so be it um, totally but yeah uh curious to you know your perspective on cameras and the number of cameras and just filming in general you can open it up there. yeah i think for me i you know i haven't done multi-cam other than like the couple times that phil you and i work together we've done a couple things where there was a, a few cameras um I really enjoyed having the intimacy of just one with this particular setup. Um, and I think it is for anyone that's more of a newer actor, I would say like I I've been acting a lot in, in many years, but I think that this was the first feature film that was definitely like a masterclass in and of itself for me of, you know, having one camera and really knowing how your body language works on camera, knowing where your shot is. I think that that's, that's when it comes into play, like for, for any actor to really test that and do that as much as possible. I encourage anyone to, to do background if they're brand new to being an actor, just so that you can understand your placements and how things work and you can watch that or doing any type of short film and whatnot, because it is, it's just as much helpful for you because then it doesn't become too much choreographed, but it still is choreographed, but you don't want it to get in the way of your performance and living in it. Does that make sense? Like, I know mm -hmm. that that's kind of like back and forth, but knowing, and also being aware of continuity and, and, and allowing that and making sure that you're aware of yourself in that puzzle piece as an actor of like, if I make the choice to reach out for something, if that's the choice, I'm going to stick with making sure that you continuously do that. And so there is a little bit of choreography and just being aware that like you have to be lived in and you're also being watched mm -hmm. and making sure of knowing where your lighting is and knowing where the camera is. And, and um, there's a lot of other nuances that I was so grateful playing opposite um, all my fellow actors. Some of them had done this a lot before. And so being able to watch them do it. Um, was very helpful because I think for the longevity of the shoot and how many different shots, a lot of people don't realize how much goes into shooting just one scene. I've sat with my parents multiple times being like, there's this coverage and then there's coverage of someone else. And then there's the wide of two people. And then, you know, it, there's so many different things and making sure that you're aware of your own body and your body language and, and what you're doing is really important as an actor. Yeah. Now I'm curious. So um, as far as the process, right? Like uh, on Titanic, um, James Cameron. Which is basically about... our movie in terms of. I know, quality I was thinking the same thing, like, of course, yes, Titanic. Yeah. Well, James Cameron, he talks about how, I forget which one is which one, which, but like either Kate or Leo was good on the first takes, and then, you know, the opposite was better on the other takes. And so that dictated who got coverage first. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, Jeff, did you sort of pick up on any of that and kind of change the way you? filmed and uh, i think question. i would usually ask right mm -hmm. and i think most of the time it worked out where like there's a lot of partner scenes in the movie um yeah. the movie's basically either like ensemble scenes or partner scenes um mm -hmm. there's like very rarely a scene with like three people right. um so i think typically with these partner scenes i think 90 percent of the time i would just be like um to i'm go gonna first? go ahead and ask you all and then if it's the same we'll just figure it out but most of the time it worked out that like actors some actors preferred the first take and mm -hmm. like the other preferred i'm trying to remember with you and um corinne in the coffee shop who did we cover first you we did me first yeah because and i think we did me first multiple times especially when it was an emotional heavy lifting in certain ways when people watch you'll understand a little bit more of what we're talking about if you haven't already um but there is some points where it's like you don't want to over exhaust yourself either. So if we want to get a specific, I mean, maybe this is just selfish on mine, but I think that this is what we were talking about. It's like, if there's going to be a lot of emotional lifting on one actor on the, rather than the other, um, really getting that coverage first. So that way you don't overly exhaust yourself. That's and right. then two, you can kind of, you can still be able to give back to your partner, but then it's not as much, if you're heavy lifting from the beginning and let's say we were doing Corinne's coverage and I'm the one that's over here crying, we're losing out on that like emotional raw rawness because then it's so done over and over and over that you're going to miss out on that take. So I think that's it, it was flipping point. between whichever character is going to be doing more typically went first. Well, you know what, with that scene, especially like your characters are so opposite and mm -hmm. like, Camilla wears her emotions on her sleeve, mm -hmm. whereas Catherine represses her emotions and buries them. Yeah. So like in that way, 
it kind of gave you the chance to wear your emotions on the sleeve right away. Mm-hmm. And it gave Catherine or Corinne like the chance to practice what it's like to bury those emotions under the intense pressure of that scene. Right. So that, yeah, that was why that was my educated directorial answer as to why we did it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Let and me ask and you. too, it depends on the other person as well. So, I mean, it is yeah. a partner scene. So it is one of those things that like also the actors having to collaborate being like, Hey, do you mind if I go first or do you mind, do you want to go first? And sometimes it's lighting too. Like yeah. there's a beautifully lit outdoor scene um, with Catherine and Lola at the very beginning of the movie. And we just needed to shoot it the way we needed to because of the sun. Mm-hmm. So that's also a big thing. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, uh, you know, one, th- one of the reasons why I like for me using two cameras is because I can obviously that fast coverage, but um, in a way, I've always been a trying to figure out how to say it and then be solved for it. So, you know, um, as open as we can get about it. So like there's times it, it happens in, in, in two ways. Number one, where like I'll film something and let's say an actor like does 90% of the take phenomenally, but they flub this one thing and they want to mm-hmm. redo it. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm never going to use that bit. We're good mm-hmm. to go, you know? Um, so that's sort of number one and, or number two. It's like, if I didn't get it, I just want to get that one tiny thing. But I feel like oftentimes to just put, especially if it's a pivotal scene to put an actor and essentially just say a line or two, that can be very difficult without having the rest of the context of the scene for them to like get into it. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I know it's not necessarily technically a question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts you know, um, just in general about that aspect of it. I mean, I think it's a person by person experience. It depends on the person, like it depends on the actor. Um, I don't think there's ever a tried or true, but I know for myself, like, even if it's a set one bit that you may not want to, I think it almost comes from that fulfillment of like, okay, I gave it my all, I did everything. And I think that Jeff, you did a great job on that, um, where even if we got it in the first take, and I think there were a couple of things where you're like, we got it in the first take, but there was one specific day that I just felt completely off. And I was like, I'm a horrible actor. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I can't do this. And Jeff was like, we used the first take but you felt like you needed to do it more. And so he gave me the grace as an actor to like, let me explore and at least feel like, okay, I did it. And I think it comes Mm -hmm. more from that element of it rather than necessarily like, listen, there, there is some point that like, as an actor, you just, you go in, you say the line, you know exactly how to do it. It, Sometimes you're not going to be emotional. Sometimes you are not going to have an emotional reaction to it. And you're going to know exactly how to, turn on and turn off. And then there's certain times, and that comes down to professionalism and practice and things like that. Um, but then there are some times where you you want to feel something. And I think that that's the part where like, being able to have the opportunity to redo it not may not be for the benefit of the director or the editor. It may just be for the actor to feel like, okay, mm-hmm. I gave it my all. You may scratch all of it. I won't know the difference at the end of the day because I don't know what take you took, but right. I did it. No, I think that's know? exactly right. And I've heard other like big A-list directors say the same thing about big A-list actors. So it's it's a great point. And it's it's funny what you just said, Candace, because I totally agree where you're like, sometimes you just come in and you just have to say the line. Mm-hmm. I, I always say that like 90% of filmmaking is trying to be as truthful and honest as you can and reflect mm-hmm. the intimacy of the human experience as closely as you can. But 10% is like, now do it on your knees squatting on an apple box because we're making an artificial thing and an artificial medium. So 10% of the time you have to do it differently than what feels natural Mm -hmm. because the movie demands it. Um, So it's a weird thing where like, it's like on this take, you just have to do it slower. Even in real life, if this feels slow, it's reading differently in the movie and actually feels more honest at this speed. Mm. So it's a weird thing where like, 90% of the time, the goal is to lock into what feels as close to true humanity as possible. And 10% of the time, it's bending those rules to serve the film. Yeah. And a little bit more mechanical of like... Mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never give line readings unless it's like a pickup. And sometimes I'm like, you did it perfect. I want this version and we're low on time. Do you mind if I just kind of give you how I want the intonation to be? And you'll do it your way, but here's how I want it. And then you guys were cool with that. And that's so nice too, because sometimes you're at a point where you're like, I've given it three different ways. I'm not giving you what you need. Like, please yeah. just tell me what right. you need exactly. so I can give it to you at that point. Yeah. It's like a sense of trust where I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I 
totally trust your instincts and you did it perfect, but this is just a me thing. So here yeah. you go. Kind of yeah. thing. And I'm that's curious. when I think it gets into collaboration too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, when you talk about like the tone and stuff like that, one of the big things for me with, with a Bogota trip, I wanted the, I wanted everyone to be like, listen, this is not how you guys would talk. And I literally filmed them at dinner and I was like, you guys are talking over each other. This is what I want in the movie. Not to be like, not every line that you read, yes, for an audience, it's supposed to be dramatic, but you as the person, the, the character is not supposed to give it this gravitas. So I'm right. just curious, like totally how, you know, because uh, mine's not exactly an ensemble piece, yours is more, but I'm curious, like how you approach that just dynamic of like, you know, tone of, you know, were you looking for yeah. that back and forth? Were you looking for more, more of those heavier moments or I don't know. I'm thinking, Candace, of like that final montage at the end that we do without dialogue. Like, yeah. I think this is kind of what Phil's talking about, right? Yeah. Do you yeah, want to get in? Yeah, I think, well, I think part of it is like logistics, right? We're using one camera. So there's only so many people sitting in the the in the queue. And so it, it really is like your other actors playing across from you that you can't see in that shot. So it's just like the playful banter that goes back and forth. But um yeah, I think there has to be a comfortability with the actors. And I think that, that we we were very lucky that we had that early on. I just always go back to that first night where we're all sitting in that that house that we were staying at and just bantering back and forth and having that camaraderie so quickly on, I think informed and gave that what you're looking for, Phil, mm-hmm. specifically is that we became friends on and off screen. And I know that you're not always going to have that. So there's going to be sometimes that you're not going to have that on, on sets. And it was just like lightning in a bottle. Um, but I think that having that trust in that relationship with everybody allowed us to have a little bit more of that back and forth banter and also preparedness of like knowing your lines and knowing when you're coming in and just like jumping in when needed. Yeah. And I think to, to just follow up on what Candace is saying, like there's a couple scenes in the movie that are some of my favorites and, one of them is like, there's this final montage where the characters are remembering something. I want to keep it kind of vague, but we did it really with like very low dialogue that's meant to be inaudible. But like, I didn't write anything for you all. Like I gave suggestions and kind of, but I was like, I want you all to just talk to each other and like, let's experience like a lived in moment of humanity together. Yeah. And I love the way it feels because like what Candace is talking about really emanates from the screen. There's also a great like workout montage between Andrew's character and Colin's character. And that was primarily improvised. I wrote some stuff and I think we did it, but I was like, I really want to see what shows up if I just let the spirit move, you know? And um, that's a fun way to direct sometimes because you get very human moments, like what Phil is talking about. Yeah. yeah. They were incredible in that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie. I love it too. Is that I know. workout They're- scene. It's such a fun, it's, I think it's a meaningful scene. Like it says a lot about their relationship and their friendship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause I, yeah, I think uh, as far as that, it's like two people you wouldn't expect to be friends type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think is what it really comes down to. Yeah. Um, right. So uh, I know we've got a few more minutes left. I want to talk about, so a lot of it does take place during the day, but a lot of it takes place during the night. So how did you approach it logistically? And then from an actor's perspective, you know, what was the switch like, you know, from one to the other. Yeah, I'll go with logistics stuff because Candace's will be more interesting. But um, <laughs> a lot of this was working with my, again, brilliant DP, AJ Young, who like also lit the movie and like helped. I mean, he is just a genius, but it was kind of a simple approach to our night stuff. And he had done exterior nights on other features and his like workaround is he, we have this like giant mambo combo, which is like basically like a heavily reinforced C stand where you can run things up like 40 feet in the air and they're safe and reinforced. And we had just basically like a 50,000 kilowatt Joker light on that giant pole to cast like moonlight essentially over the set for our outdoor stuff, which created like a nice glow on the foliage behind you all to look like a moonlit edge or like, can I always joke like Candace is like a Pantene Pro V commercial. Like you just have <laughs> such great hair. And, and those night scenes i guess your hair was up for some of those but even still it's like your hair's backlit by that lighting and that's mm-hmm. all aj he just makes things look pretty um and then we basically use just like soft light mats i think to create just like a glow 
Um, and firelight. So did you did you um, did you do the day stuff first and then switch into night, or start with night, switch into day, or, or did you mix and match? We had like a um, they call that a rolling schedule. Mm -hmm. where it's like you start early and end early. And as your week goes on, you're pushing things later and later, like a staircase. So it's like your first call time's 8 a.m. Then by the end of the week, your call time's 5 p.m. So you're like 8 to 8. And then on the sixth day of the week, you're like 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what was, what was that to experience that schedule? You guys did a great job. I will say, I, first of all, I didn't know that it was called a rolling schedule, so I learned something new today. I might have made that up. There's a term. I'm going to Google it while you answer. Okay, you Google, let me know, because I think that, that, I mean, it's exactly that. It, and again, I think they did such a great job of organizing it in a way that, like, I wasn't going to do an 8 a.m. and then the next day have, like, a 6 p.m. to a 6 a.m. Um, and the switch over... You know, I think all of us did our due diligence of looking at the schedule for ourselves and kind of making sure that like we went to bed on time or when we switched or we would stay up if we needed to stay up to get onto a new sleep schedule. Um, and also the fact that it was ensemble was helpful because a lot of times you'd be doing it with someone else. So it wasn't like, you know, I think there was only one or two days I roomed with Corinne um, that we were on opposite schedules. And so we just communicated, you know, sleeping like, hey, be quiet. I have an early shift. You have a later shift, that type of thing. Um, but it is a little bit, you know, you just have to get used to it. You have to try and keep normalcy as much as you can, like going to the gym, if that's something that you do or getting a coffee at the time. Like the last day we did a night shoot, the last day of the entire shoot. And so we were done at 6 a.m., but all of us still stayed, like we went home and went to bed and then we woke up at like 3 p.m. So we all went to go get breakfast together and you kind of try and like just get back to a normal schedule. But I think that that's all in fun of it. I think that that's part of the excitement of being on a set is that it does kind of feel like summer camp. You kind of are just like all over the place and picking your schedule accordingly and, and doing all of that. So it wasn't super... Uh, disruptive by any means. I think that you just like you, you prepare at the beginning and you do the best you can with it. And then when you can, if you need to take a nap, you take a nap on set. Cause there is a lot of hurry up and wait when it comes to making movies that you did. We did have a lot of downtime where we would have to be waiting. And so you just take a nap if you need to, or drink an extra mm -hmm. cup of coffee. I think what I'm hearing is, uh, I think I made a mistake. Um, no, no disrespect to Ohio in Columbia to like keep anyone like on their schedule and, and like in the Airbnb. There was just too much calling out there. And so like everyone was out and about trying to just soak in Columbia as much as possible. I think that that makes sense. But we, we did have a couple in all fairness, Jeff and, and Laura did a great job to let us all have like a day or two days off within the 14 days that we were there. So we did get to explore um, the lovely city and go around and we had a great time like Shout out to Kofinia. I know that Roxy said that in her other interview the other day, but that was one of our favorite spots. And there was one day that um, all of us were off and the three girls, we went and actually painted pottery together out on the lawn. So like we found different things to do and we had a great time. I still have that coffee mug and I love it. Mm. I What's couldn't that? find the term. Oh. <laughs> I tried. You know what? You know what's hilarious? Um, my team also did a pottery day. Although did you? that was well, it was also part of the movie, right? So like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the, the the funny part is I tried to like incorporate those tourist moments as part of the actual experience. movie and the yeah. experience of it. There you yeah. go. But still, there was so much else there. But, Multitasking. Um, Multitasking. Um, now, obviously, uh, there's so many other places we could talk about, you know, um, and things of that nature. But as we wrap out, any sort of final thoughts that you just want to share with the world? I'm just so in, insanely proud of this film. And I'm just so grateful every single day that I got to be a part of it. You know, people are asking me about it. And I, and I think too, for anyone that, you know, once you watch, it has so many emotional moments and something that I think that we can all find ourselves in di different pieces of different characters. Just like Jeff was saying, he found himself in each of the characters. I think, you know, I watch it and I find, you know, parts of myself in Catherine and parts of myself in Trey and parts of myself in Lola. Um, you know, each of the characters I can find different pieces to relate to. And I think that's the beauty of the script and, and the way that the movie was edited together. And just, um, you know, 
like I said at the very beginning of the interview, you know, you make a movie hoping that people will enjoy it, but when people really do actually enjoy it and give you that meaningful moment and that message to you, it it makes it feel like it's all worth it. You know, all mm-hmm. the stuff in between, like what we were talking about, the in-between of when the next job is or when the next interview is or when anything is, to have that peace, um, I will always be so proud of. And to even have life experience that I've had post-making the movie that always relate back to it um, has been such a nice pillar of um, comfort and, and love for me to go back to. So, Jeff, thank you for trusting me with Camilla. Oh, my and gosh. I hope that everyone loves a movie just as much as we do. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it's fun. Cause I, Candace and I have never done like a one-on-one interview like this. So this is yeah. a fun chance for me to just like shout her out. Um, it's funny, Candace, I felt like on set process wise, we were the most similar. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think like we're both emotion, like our way into a story is like emotion first. Yes. So it was really fun to work with you. Cause I was like, if I were to ever be an actor, I feel like I would be Candace. Like that was kind of how I felt. So I felt like we just had like, I really connected with all the actors on set, which is lucky because I've heard some directors be like, I just can't connect with this actor. And like, I really was lucky that like, I had a nice feeling of safety and um, like story intimacy with everyone on set. But I do feel like there was often times when like, I felt, I just feel like we work similarly. So it was really fun working with you. Um, And and I want to jump into that too, though, because I want to commend you as well. Because I think that it is something that a lot of directors... Um, it is a skill to be able to work with actors and multiple different personalities and actors and to be malleable in that way, to be Mm -hmm. a leader and for us to feel safe by your leadership and to be able to be guided because you know the big overarching picture that we can't see um, because we're so insular in one character role, but to also be able to to know our way in. So the fact that you literally just said like, we work so similarly because my way in is emotion that's because you listened and you paid attention and you were able to see like, okay, how can I get Candace into that? Because in their days that I can't show up and how can you get me into that place? Mm-hmm. Um, I think was just so beautiful and it felt very safe to be able to do that. Well, I hope it's not the last time I'm like, no. I'll work with Candace on anything. Um, <laughs> so if anyone's watching and Phil can speak to it too, um, cause you've worked with Candace. If you're like l- wondering if like casting Candace is worth like having her on set, it's the best choice you'll ever make. Um, and Phil, I want to just quickly thank you too, because for those watching, Phil was one of, first of all, you have, were at table reads like early on. Um, and you also watched cuts and helped walk me through those. And Phil had had far more editing experience than I did going into it. So, um, you're very, there's a reason you're in the special thanks of the movie, Phil. You're a very important part of the DNA of it happening. So all good. Do any of the actors hate me for like cutting down some of their stuff? Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like everyone's well, I happy. I joke with... about it because like, I feel like most of my notes were trim this, cut this, you know. For research, sure. You know, like no, that's I mean, sort of very judicious. The cast is, a, I will say, one of the other pieces of advice I'd give for filmmakers is cast good actors, but cast smart actors. As you all can tell from Candace's very um, eloquent responses in this interview, she's very, very smart. And don't you think the whole cast, it's a particularly smart group of actors. Oh my God, um, brilliant. I, I'm just like, yeah. I love all of them so much. Everyone mm-hmm. I learned from. And just like the first day on set, I was like, oh, that's exactly who I envisioned that character to be and to see them totally. alive. And the work um, that yeah. everyone's done is. And what's great about casting smart actors is they story, they understand that story is the priority. It's not ever really about your performance. It Mm -hmm. is in the sense that your performance is serving this greater thing. And that's true of directing and writing too. My job as a director isn't to be like, look what a good director he is. Or like as a writer, it's not like, it's not even really like, look how great the writing is. It's like, look how great and effectively all these puzzle pieces serve this invisible thing that's outside of the movie. What's nice about that mentality too, is it eliminates everyone's ego, yeah. even the DP, right? Like it's, it's never about a specific, it's never about one thing. So if you have to cut something or remove something, we all know that if it makes the movie better, it lifts yeah. every boat. So like, yeah. can even if we cut a great moment that Candace gave us, if it serves the movie, it makes every other moment she has in the movie seem better because mm-hmm. we cut it. So um, it's a very weird esoteric thing, but important. Oh, it's I, so important. I always feel like anytime I'm, if anyone's appreciating and gets an award, I'm like, you should be so grateful for all those puzzle pieces coming together mm-hmm. because 
If not for that, then the performances that we end up seeing are not necessarily what was the original or where it was to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And to close the loop, I'll say this, you know, um, because as an editor, I've been there firsthand um, where you can really shape a performance, right? Um, and stuff like that. But I will say, I'm lucky enough to know a lot of the people on, on, on Always Lola. You know, Candace, you and I have worked in multiple capacities. I vouch for you. Um, you know, Andrew Guy is in both your movie, my movie, mm -hmm. two completely different stellar performances. Um, I've worked with Roxy on a, a short film very early on. I, you know, I think she's amazing. Um, Sheldon and Colin, I've not had a chance to work with, but we've become closer. And then Corinne, I really want to shout her praises because we didn't finish everything in Columbia as we needed to. And I needed a stand in in L.A., and I was like, this is going to be the most insulting thing to ask an actor is to just literally like, let me film the back of your head. But Corinne looked the part and did it with no ego attached. She's like, whatever you need, you know? Mm -hmm. So I really, you know, that's my working experience with Corinne and she delivered and no one knows that it's Corinne, <laughs> and, uh, which is, it, it's the best compliment, but also like, again, yeah. I knew it was like the worst, like, it's like any other person would be like, you want me to do what? But so anyway, just Corinne uh, is I do view her as just like such an actor's actor. Like she yes, is she just is. so 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 good. And I do think like she really just loves the craft. Mm -hmm. Not, the whole cast does. It's funny. I could say that about anyone, but it doesn't surprise me that Corinne was just like, yeah, because I feel like she just loves the chance to get on set and work at a high level in whatever capacity it was. Well, if you made made. a mistake, we are not at a high level. <laughs> I, I'm thinking for myself. Not for you. Um, just joking. But um, thank you guys for doing this. Um, what's the website? Um, alwayslolafilm.com. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's alwayslolafilm.com. And if you do slash watch at home, you'll have all the options for how to watch it. And yeah, you should go rent it. I'm proud of it. And again, it's a fun, feel good 85 minute movie. And even if you're just watching, this, these performances are so good. It's a really fun chance to watch people just like working at their highest level and hang out with some fun characters. So check it out. Yeah, shout outs to everybody in the cast too. Yeah. And I mean this in the best spirit. Like, I really think like, you know, um, I always love those movies when you see like a talented group at their earliest and mm -hmm. then because you know they're going to do great things, right? And so I love discovering like older movies with like, you know, I just... I've never actually seen a um, fast times at Richmond high and like seeing that and seeing like, Oh, there's Sean Penn. There's, you know, like all these people. So I, I really think wow. this, this will have that ability to stand the test of time. And I think everyone involved, you know, cast crew has a, a big career ahead of themselves. So I think this is one of, of many. Yeah. Thanks Phil. Me too.